Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Steve. It's a joy to be with you today and open up God's Word together. We are currently in a series through the book of Matthew right now here at Faith Bible Church. And today we are in Matthew chapter 8. As we open up God's Word, I'm just going to take a moment and pray. Father, we thank you that we have just had opportunity to declare your greatness, your power and might. And there's probably not one person in this room who does not have weight on their life, cares about and hurts and things that we're concerned about. Um, relationships, our children, um, things within our, our career, our finances, whatever that might be. And I pray that as we open your word today that you would encourage us in it that you would remind us of the authority of Jesus Christ in his power and that he is worthy of our trust and I pray this in Jesus name Amen we've noted in our series that the human author of the book of Matthew the apostle Matthew is writing with at least a couple of main Purposes or concerns, one of which is to show unbelieving Israel that Jesus is the Messiah. And by that, the word Messiah is a Hebrew word and it means anointed one or the anointed king. And what it's saying is that Jesus, as Messiah, is the one that was promised clear back in the Old Testament. For example, in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7, God told David that one of his descendants would sit on David's throne forever and ever over a kingdom of righteousness. And Matthew is showing that Jesus is that promised king. He is the fulfillment of that Old Testament prophecy. Matthew also writes just to encourage believers in, in their walk with Jesus. And so we saw last week in chapter 4 verses 12 through 25, uh, Matthew's record of Jesus' early ministry. We noted that when John the Baptist was arrested, that Jesus left that region of Judea where he first started to publicly uh, minister and serve people and he went to Galilee, the region of Galilee and kind of centered in a town called Capernaum and we read in chapter 4 verse 17 that Jesus carried on a preaching ministry when it says from that time Jesus began to preach and say repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand this summer we looked at Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 where Jesus taught the people and he sat on a hillside and talked about the kingdom and the fact that in order to enter the kingdom of God, a person must realize that they are not really worthy to enter the kingdom of God. The only way to enter God's kingdom is to realize that we aren't able to enter it in and of ourselves because he is the standard for right. 
He is our creator. And he has the ability to demand of his creation that we live for him. But the Bible tells us each and every one of us are sinners. We've done things, we've thought things that reckon us guilty before God. And we don't deserve to be in his presence because of our sin. And so Jesus said things like that the one who is 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 righteous is the one who is poor in spirit meaning realizes i'm not good enough to get in by myself jesus said things like there's a lot of people on this wide road thinking they're right with god but the only way into the kingdom into relationship with god is through a narrow gate and Jesus was talking about himself, the need for people to put their faith in him. So Jesus, from the time he started his public ministry, he preached. He had extended times where he taught. And now today, in chapter 8, we're going to begin to see examples of the fact that Jesus healed. So in his ministry, he preaches, he teaches... And he heals or delivers people. And all of this ministry, his teaching, his preaching, and his healing was done for a major purpose. And that is this, to show that he is the Messiah. To show that he is the Christ. The Greek word Christ is the equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah. He is this promised one. He is God's son, as 2 Samuel 7 said, Messiah would be known to be. And as the son of God, Jesus has authority from God. We're going to read this out loud. I'll read it. You can follow along in your copy of the Bible. And as we read chapter 8, verse 1, down through verse 17... Look at examples for where you see Jesus' authority. Starting in verse 1. When Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And a leper came to him and bowed down before him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing to be cleansed. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest and present the offering that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word, my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were falling, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. 
But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go. It shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in bed with a fever. He touched her hand. And the fever left her and she got up and waited on him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. And all through this section, these different accounts of Jesus healing Helping people, delivering people from, from their oppression by demons. We see one thing stand out clearly. Jesus' authority. This fall I was in the neighborhood here around our church facility and there was a crew cutting down trees. And as I was coming up one of the side streets to come to the office, this guy from the tree crew just walked out into the middle street in front of my car and just put his hand up and made me just sit there while they moved equipment. And I started getting a little frustrated. You know, I'm so patient. And I thought to myself, who is this guy? Does he have the authority to come stand in the street and make me stop? Maybe they should have let me go through and then move their equipment. I mean... He doesn't even have a special colored coat on or anything. I mean, this is just some punk guy stepping out into the street saying, you can't go. I questioned his authority. You know, we live in a day today where authority is questioned almost on all fronts. People question authority of law enforcement, question authority of those who govern over us, even within the educational system, questioning authority of administrators or teachers all around us, children questioning authority of parents. Authority is questioned all around us. But as we look into Matthew chapter 8, We're going to see the major account here, this account of a centurion, understanding authority and what authority means. And because he understands authority, he recognizes Jesus' authority. And he recognizes who is behind Jesus' authority. And Jesus looks at that and and concludes, I haven't seen such faith In all of Israel. And so this morning as we look at these verses. We're going to be looking at Jesus' authority. And he demonstrates it for a reason. He is showing who he is. We notice as the account begins in chapter 8 verse 1. It says, when Jesus came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. And we're going to see that as Jesus completed his teaching on that 
hilltop that's recorded for us in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. He comes down from the hill. Large crowds of people are following him. And Jesus is going to use these opportunities to show his authority over disease as a testimony to who he is. Now, remember as the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, recorded for us, and we looked at this last week, different events in Jesus' life. They don't always do it in chronological order. They more so often do it according to themes. And for example, what we have recorded for us here in Matthew 8 will appear in a different order in Luke. That's okay. We also remember John told us in the end of the Gospel of John that there's no way that the Gospel writers recorded everything Jesus did because if they did, there'd be so many books you couldn't count them. So Matthew has included these accounts of Jesus' healing in this order to teach us something. And he's actually going to tell us what he's teaching in verse 17. So Jesus comes down from this hillside. And it tells us in verse 2 an account of a leper approaching Jesus. Now, today, if you would Google leprosy, you would see a link to Hansen's disease. There's no way of knowing in the New Testament, when they, or even in the Old Testament, when they talked about leprosy, if what they referred to as leprosy was limited to Hansen's disease, or it may have been a little broader category, including Hansen's disease. But one thing for sure is this. If you contracted leprosy, it was a hopeless situation. We know from passages like Numbers chapter 12 verses 10 through 12 that if you had leprosy, it was considered uh, God's curse on your life. In fact, in that passage in Numbers 12, it's it's the passage uh, talking about Miriam and Aaron and kind of rebelling against his Moses' leadership. And Miriam, because of her complaining, is struck with leprosy. And they immediately conclude that she has sinned and she is under the hand of God. Also in the Old Testament, we see that being healed from leprosy was extremely rare. In fact, in the entire Old Testament, we only have two accounts of someone who has been healed from being a leper. One, the one that I just referred to in Numbers chapter 12 with Miriam, and then one in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 9 through 14. Only two occasions. So if you are diagnosed as having leprosy, it's not good. It's not good. One could even say hopeless. We know from Leviticus chapter 14 that there is a provision in the Old Testament law that if you believe that you have been cured from leprosy, you are immediately to go to the Old Testament priest, the Israelite priest. And then the priest has to do an investigation. Many believe that that provision was there 
to just help clear people who thought they had leprosy and then it turned out not being leprosy, but they still had to be cleared. And so the priest would do an investigation. And you can read about that in Leviticus chapter 14, verses 4 through 8 and verse 10. Well, here this leper approaches Jesus. No hope. Outcast from society. A terrible disease. Supposed to be no contact at all with a leper. Just think about being fragmented from your family completely. From all social relationships. If you're a leper, you couldn't go to Panera and drink coffee with your friends. I mean, you're a leper. They didn't have Panera, but. And this man who has no hope comes to Jesus and recognizes that Jesus actually has the ability to heal him. And he says to him, if you're willing, Lord, you can make me clean. And then verse 3 is remarkable. Jesus actually reaches out and touches him. You should never touch a leper. Never. You might get infected, but when you are touched by God himself, instead of Jesus contracting leprosy, his touch heals. And Jesus reaches out and touches the leper, saying, I'm willing to be cleansed. And it says, immediately his leprosy was cleansed. It's miraculous. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one. Most likely, Jesus, and that we see that occurring throughout the Gospels. In Jesus' time, it was time to let everybody know who he claims to be. Because when that truth really sinks in, it's just steps before the cross. And so most likely he's just delaying this inevitable trip to the cross so that he can adequately carry out his ministry that God sent him to do. Don't tell anybody, but I want you to go to the priest. Show yourself to the priest, verse 4, and present the offering that Moses commanded. Now that he's saying based on Leviticus chapter 14. Verses 4 through 8 and verse 10. He's yielding to the Old Testament law. Do what the law prescribes. Go to the priest. For this reason. Look at the end of verse 4. As a testimony to them. You see what Jesus is doing. Is he knows the law. And he knows that the priest is to investigate any claim of someone being healed from leprosy. Remember, we only have two biblical records of someone being healed. This doesn't happen. And so by sending the healed leper to the priest, it's Jesus saying to the priesthood, you have to deal with this. Who do you think that I am. It's a testimony. To Israel's leadership. As a testimony. 
to them. So we first see healing of the leper. Then in verses 5 through 13, we're going to see healing of the centurion's servant. And then in verses 14, uh, 14 and 15, we see the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. First, the centurion's servant. Verse 5. Capernaum, where Jesus is spending his time, is well known for having a Roman garrison there. And a centurion would be a soldier who has many soldiers under their charge. A hundred. Thus the name centurion. It may be there in Capernaum that the centurion did not necessarily have a hundred people under him at the time. But he is a man who knows what authority is. He has People who answer to him. And he says that he's under authority. So the centurion comes and says, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Luke tells us in Luke chapter 7 verse 2 that this servant is near death. He is in rough shape. And the centurion comes to Jesus Lord, verse 6, my servant is lying paralyzed at home. And Jesus responds, well, I'll come heal him. And the centurion says, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. Just speak a word and he will be healed. And he explains, verse 8, I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word of my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority and soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go and he goes and to another come and he comes into my slave. Do this and he does it. You see, the centurion serves the emperor. And so when the centurion speaks, he represents the one that he serves. As the centurion speaks, he speaks with the authority of the emperor. If you disobey the centurion, you are disobeying the one the centurion serves, the emperor. He has authority. And what the centurion is recognizing about Jesus is that Jesus has authority. He represents one. And the one that the centurion recognizes that Jesus represents is God. The centurion sees who Jesus is. And he's a Gentile. In amazement, Jesus responds in verse 10. I say to you, I have have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed that very moment. Just with a word, that very moment. It's interesting Here that Jesus uses this as an opportunity to talk about the kingdom. And he talks about 
a banquet reclining at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in verse 11. That comes from the Old Testament again. In fact, we're not going to turn there this morning, but in Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 through 9, it pictures the fact that there will be a great banquet in the kingdom. And here, Jesus is saying that Gentiles are going to be part of the kingdom. Gentiles will be coming to the banquet. He's saying that because entrance into the kingdom is by faith. Believing in the person of the Messiah, Jesus himself. And as Matthew's gospel unfolds, we're going to see that what one has to believe in order to be right with God, to enter into the kingdom, is to believe who Jesus is. Believing that he is God. That he dies on the cross to pay for people's sin. And rises again from the dead, proving that he is God. And so Jesus is saying that there's many from all over the world who are going to enter the kingdom. They'll take part in this banquet. But the sons of the kingdom, verse 12, will be cast out into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And by that he's saying, if a person is just depending on their lineage, sons of the kingdom referring to Israelites. If you think that you're good enough to get into the kingdom because you are a physical descendant of Abraham and that's all you're depending on, you will find yourself in hell. That's what Jesus is saying. Just like today, if I think that I'm going to go to heaven because my mom and dad are strong Christians, just because of who my parents are, that doesn't get me into heaven. Or just because I go to church and act a religious way doesn't get me into heaven. Jesus is saying this centurion's faith in who he is is an example of how men and women and boys and girls will enter the kingdom. Miraculous healing. Finally, we come to Peter's mother-in-law in verses 14 and 15. Jesus comes to Peter's house. Evidently, Peter has relocated to Capernaum as well with his wife and his mother-in-law. It'd be really easy to make some comments now about what it would be like to have your mother-in-law live in the house with you, but I'm not going to go there. But so Peter's mother-in-law is there and she is really ill. In fact, we know from Luke chapter 4 verses 38 through 41. And remember the author of Luke is a, as a doctor. Dr. Luke says that this fever has been ongoing. This isn't just a little 24 hour bout with fever. In fact, in that culture, they viewed fever as the actual disease, not a symptom of the disease. So this woman has had an ongoing Fever. And once again, Jesus touches her. The touch of Jesus is always effective. And in this case, it's miraculously instantaneous. Notice what happens. 
It says he touches her. Verse 15. The fever left her. And she got up and waited on him. Now just think about what it's been like when you've been sick. I mean sick. Maybe you've had an ongoing fever for a week. How how you feel when you're done with that. You, Those of you who know... Who've been at Faith Bible Church a long time know that when I was in graduate school, I contracted hepatitis from some Ethiopian refugees that I was working with. And I had a fever for like six weeks. Well, when that fever finally broke, are you feeling real strong? No way. You're weak, right? You feel like, oh man, I, I kind of feel like something's changed here, but I don't feel like just going out for a jog or for a run here this woman has had an ongoing fever jesus touches her she's instantly healed and she has strength she gets up and she takes care of jesus making a meal for him now what i want us to key in on is verse 17 because matthew tells us the purpose of jesus healing ministry This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. The reason Jesus healed people outside of just compassion for people is to show who he is. To show people that he is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. He's the one that the prophet Isaiah referred to. And if you go back to Isaiah 53, where these verses are quoted from here in verse um, 17, we see that that's the passage that talks about the suffering servant, that Messiah would suffer to pay the price for sin. And Matthew says the reason why Jesus healed Is to show people that he is that servant from Isaiah 53. He is the Messiah. He is the one who has come. God's son. To die for his people. Jesus had a specific reason. To heal. Now. Should I seek physical healing today? Is it okay to ask God to heal? You bet. We're going to talk about that. But healing, as we see it in the New Testament, as performed by Jesus, was not done out of a feeling that all disease should be taken away from all people instantaneously. It was done to show that Jesus is the one promised in the Old Testament. Many of you know that our youngest son, who's in a, he's in a college, he's out of college, uh, toward the end of college was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. It was a huge shock to him. He's a college athlete and it just kind of rocked his world. He finished up his college career and he lives downtown Minneapolis now and this last year uh, he was really heavily involved in a church in ministry and so on and this last year 
His church wanted to have a healing service for him. And as they performed this healing service or took him through this healing service, it was after church one day, they made it very clear that, that their conclusion was that it was not God's will for him to have multiple sclerosis. And that had a real effect on him. And he started thinking about that. And he called me up one day and said, you know what? I don't agree with that. And he shared that ever since he's had his multiple sclerosis, he has grown closer to Jesus Christ than he ever has before. And he said, Dad, I just don't think that's right to think that it's not God's will for me to have this disease. Now, there's many a day he wishes he didn't have that disease. It's not an easy road for him. But it really rocked him when someone concluded that his having MS was outside of God's will for him. And he actually ended up changing churches and is in a fellowship now that he just really uh, uh, enjoys being part of. And one of the things that we come up against today on a regular basis is, is certain Christians having that mentality, even based on, on this verse in, in verse 17, that all sickness, all illness is outside of God's will for God's people. And that's not a correct way of viewing the New Testament. And so I want to just take a moment and talk about healing. Jesus does it, but he does it for a purpose. One of the things that is important for us to know, when we come to verse 17, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. That verse is in a context. There's verses around it in Isaiah 53. And in those verses around it, it's talking about the cross work of the Messiah. It's talking about that this suffering servant is going to go to the cross for his people. I'm just going to read a, a little a section of Isaiah 53 just to remind us of that context. I'll pick it up in verse 2. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him. Nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore. And our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken. Smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. 
He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that's led to slaughter. And like a sheep that's silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. So that verse that Matthew quotes here is from a context of the cross. At the cross, when Jesus died for the sin of all of humanity for all time, when Jesus died on that cross, he defeated sin. He crushed it. And in his defeat of sin comes promises. And some of those promises talk about the fact that when his kingdom comes, There'll be no sickness. There'll be no disease. We will all of God's people will have new bodies. Recognizable bodies. We know that because we'll have the same body that Jesus has. The same type of body that Jesus has. When Jesus rose from the grave. The nail prints in his hands were still evident to Thomas. So we will be in recognizable bodies. But bodies without The taint of sin. Bodies without illness. Bodies without disease. The cross makes that possible. But it's presumptuous for us. To demand all of that blessing now. In fact we see examples in the New Testament. For example where the apostle Paul doesn't heal all illness. If you remember in 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 23, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. And in 1 Timothy 5.23, if I can turn there, we read this. No longer, he's writing to Timothy some practical advice. No longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. And so... Paul says that Timothy has been having frequent ailments. And he, in a sense, prescribes a, 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 gives a prescription for him to help him deal with it, but he doesn't heal him from it. We find passages like James chapter 5, which here at Faith Bible Church we practice. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He's to sing praises. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Literally the Greek word there is weak. Then he must call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. We practice that here at Faith Bible Church. When someone comes to us and asks the elders to come and anoint them with oil and pray over them, we do that. And we believe that God answers that prayer. Because God restores, he encourages, he strengthens. He doesn't always actually remove the disease or the illness. But he, his grace is sufficient. And so as we look at Jesus' healing ministry here in Matthew 8, it's important for us to recognize what he's doing. It is not out of a theological perspective that no believer should ever be ill. It's out of a purpose of 
demonstrating who he is. That he is indeed the Messiah. That he is indeed the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Now I want us to note one other verse here. And that is verse 16. Jesus healed people physically. But verse 16 talks about demons. And it says, when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon possessed. And he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were ill. We don't talk a lot about demons today. In the 1990s, there was all kinds of talk about the demons. You guys remember an author named Frank Peretti. He came out with a book called Piercing the Darkness, I think, or... This present darkness was one. And in those books, Peretti tried to show the fact that what we see in our everyday lives has a spiritual warfare going on behind it. And during that period of time, there were churches like ours that began to really stress the importance of spiritual warfare. There was a church in Sioux City, Iowa, that a buddy of mine was on staff there, that was very much in in purposefully trying to engage in spiritual warfare. And some of these pastors would, if someone was struggling with discouragement, they would conclude that a demon of discouragement was attacking them. If someone was struggling with lust, a demon of lust was attacking them. We have not been stressing that in evangelical circles. In fact, the pendulum has probably swung the other way now, where people aren't really even cognizant of the fact that there is a spiritual warfare going on. And so I want to just read three New Test four New Testament passages to remind us that there is a spiritual war that goes on without us recognizing it. I'm going to begin in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 16. I'll just read these in rapid succession without a lot of comment. Ephesians 6 16 says this. In addition to all taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So saying that the Satan is on the attack The flaming arrows are the evil one, are Satan's attempts to trip Christians up. And Satan and his legion of demonic forces are all about trying to trip up Christians. James chapter 2 verse 19 is readily admits the presence of demons. James chapter 2 verse 19. And I'll read that. I'll start at verse 18. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. So James is very clear that there, there is this presence of demonic forces. 2 Corinthians 2 verse 11. 
2 Corinthians 2.11 says this. I'll start in verse 10. But to one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ. So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his schemes. Talking about the importance for a local church to, to exercise forgiveness when a brother or sister is repentant. Because if they don't, Satan can insidiously attack at that point within the life of a church. Satan and his forces are real. But it's important for us to remember who is in authority. Remember verse 16, when evening came, they brought to him many who were demon possessed and he cast out the spirits with a word. He spoke and they were gone. It's important for us to remember passages like Romans chapter 16 verse 20 when the Apostle Paul says the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So Jesus here in Matthew 8 demonstrates authority because he represents the Father. And as the son, he has been bestowed the authority of the father. And because our savior has the authority of God himself, he has all power to heal. His touch is always effective. It does not mean that he always chooses to heal us. When on our terms, on our times table. But one day, his cross work will come to its full completion. And everyone who has put their faith in the person of Jesus Christ will be free of any kind of disease or illness. We will all be with each other. We will be reunited And we will experience joy like we've never experienced because he's already won victory. Father, we thank you for these accounts of Jesus healing here and the reminder that he has already won the victory. We don't have to live in fear of Satan and his forces, but we need to be mindful That he prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That we've got to depend on you. And Father we pray for your grace and enablement. Because there's many in this room who either personally or have someone within their web of relationship. Who's struggling with with illness and disease. And, And we would hope in our humanness that that would just end immediately. And sometimes it doesn't. But we take hope in you. And we take hope in Jesus. Because because of the cross. He ultimately has already won that victory. And there will be a resurrection to newness. With new bodies. And we praise you for that hope. 
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.